Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 377. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 377. Well, we're into the holiday season and it's only November 28th. Can you believe it? There's so many wonderful things to be thankful for and to celebrate. And yet the holidays can be stressful and difficult for so many of us. While it can be crushing to think about the natural disasters or human-caused disasters that have befallen our floral community in recent seasons, it's also sometimes overwhelming to find balance and peace in our own daily lives on a small scale. Well, I'm so pleased to share today's conversation with Jesse Bloom, author of the just-released book, Creating Sanctuary, because I know the topic will be as timely for you as it is for me. Published by Timber Press, the book's full title, Creating Sanctuary, Sacred Garden Spaces, Plant-Based Medicine, and Daily Practices to Achieve Happiness and Well-Being, gives you a sense of the inspirational and practical features inside its pages. Here's a bit about Jesse's new book. We all need a personal sanctuary where we can be in harmony with the natural world and can nurture our bodies, minds, and souls. And this sanctuary doesn't have to be a faraway destination. It can be in your own backyard. In Creating Sanctuary, Jesse Bloom taps into multiple sources of traditional plant wisdom to help find a deeper connection to the outdoor space you already have, no matter the size. Equal parts inspirational and practical, this engaging guide includes tips on designing a healing space, plant profiles for 50 sacred plants, recipes that harness the medicinal properties of plants, and simple instructions for daily rituals and practices for self-care. Jesse Bloom is a best-selling author, award-winning ecological landscape designer, and speaker. A Northwest native, Jesse comes from a strong background of horticulture and environmental sciences. Her early experience in project management ranged from organizing restoration projects with community volunteers to high-end residential and commercial landscape design build. In early 2000, she decided to start an ethical business in the green industry to fill a niche for organic and ecological landscaping. Her leadership combined with her artistic design talents have brought Northwest Bloom numerous environmental awards. She is passionate about animals, permaculture, and making functional gardens beautiful. Jessie's work has been featured in many national and local media outlets from the New York Times, Better Homes and Gardens, Sunset Magazine, Disney, Martha Stewart Living, Mother Earth News, Utney Reader, Fine Gardening, and PBS's Growing a Greener World. 
Jessie is strongly committed to volunteering in the community, and she sits on several advisory boards within the green industry and the educational environmental world. She hopes to empower people and raise industry standards, recently helping to develop the Echo Pro program for Washington State. Jesse has two sons and spends time with them around their little farm with a handful of animals and gardens to look after. When she's not helping others with their gardens, traveling or writing, she enjoys the outdoors, snowboarding, hiking, running, biking, and she stays strong with Olympic weightlifting. Jesse has authored two prior books for Timber Press, Practical Permaculture for Home Landscapes, Your Community and the Whole Earth, uh, which she co-authored with Dave Bonehine, and the bestseller, Free Range Chicken Gardens, How to Create a Beautiful Chicken-Friendly Yard. At the end of our conversation, we discuss Northwest Bloom's latest project as the new farmland steward at South 47 in Redmond, Washington. There, what was a corn maze for many years will now be a sustainable site nurtured by Northwest Bloom. The first year involves healing the soil from nitrogen depletion, planting cover crops to add biomass and nutrients back to the ground, and developing a nursery to provide locally grown, chemical-free plants to the region. I'm excited to learn that Jesse sees the future potential to incubate small-scale flower farming, among other value-added CSA crops. So more on that story as it evolves. Please visit DebraPrinzing.com for episode 377 to find links to all of Jessie's social places and to see photos of this talented woman, her design work, and interior images from the book Cultivating Sanctuary. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to introduce my friend, Jesse Bloom. Hi, Jesse. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. I am, I'm thrilled that this worked out. Yeah. Uh, Jesse is uh, Seattle-based, and she's the owner of Northwest Bloom Ecological Services, and she'll tell us a little bit about that. We've just known each other informally, I think, through the garden community in Seattle, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time, though. Like, I feel like it's been like 15 years. It has, <laughs> and... Um, I think you first got on my radar when you, did you design a garden at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show with chickens in it? Or there was some yeah. big scandal about that. Yeah, there was chickens and goats, actually. That was. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not, right? Yeah, yeah it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so we met, we met through the gardening community, but we're also both garden writers, and you've written uh, a number of books, and your newest book is just out, and this is what we're going to talk about today. In part, creating sanctuary. I feel at the beginning of the holidays, we all need to take a deep breath and find our sanctuary spots, our little moments of serenity in the midst of the chaos that is swirling around us. So Jessie's agreed to talk about that and give us some of her practical and perhaps spiritual and impractical tips for coping uh, with life through the garden. The subtitle of this book, Creating Sanctuary, is... Sacred Garden Spaces, Plant-Based Medicine, and Daily Practices to Achieve Happiness and Well-Being. And this is published by Timber Press. So we'll have um, photos from the book. And um, Jesse's agreed to read a passage in a little bit. But first, tell us a little bit about your how all the pieces of the pie for Northwest Bloom Ecological Services, because writing books is a small facet of that, right? Yeah, that's kind of like my nighttime job. Um, <laughs> my day job running Northwest Bloom is, it mostly is cons con consulting and then design. It's a, it's a full service firm. We do design, build, and then we care for land as well. And so usually I'm called out when someone is struggling with a problem in their garden or the land that they're stewarding. 
and I help them come to design solutions and implementation plans. And from there, we usually do a proposal and we pr put together the, the plan to do the work and then mm -hmm. get it done and away we go. The, the new landscape's ready to be um, nurtured and cared for by the new the, the land stewards and, and we give them lots of practical advice and sometimes physical um, help with taking care mm -hmm. of it as it gets established. Mm -hmm. Are they mainly residential properties? Um, we do all kinds of work. We, we do primarily residential, but we've lately been doing a lot more mission-based work with nonprofits. Um, we do commercial, we even do government contracts. Mm -hmm. And your, um, your approach, just having the word ecological, makes you a different kind of um, I don't want to pigeonhole you by saying landscape design business, but I know that's a facet of it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people in, you know, that I know and have interviewed in the landscape design business who are pretty much creating outdoor spaces mm -hmm. and uh, that are functioning with the house and what the needs of the family are. You're taking, I'm guessing you're taking this so much deeper level because of your term, even just your language, talking about stewards. You never said homeowner. You said land steward, or land steward, right? <laughs> I don't believe we own land. Right. So that's super, <laughs> that's super intentional then. Yeah. Do you find that you're, you're having to educate people about what is ecological, uh, you know, an ecological approach to the garden or... Every day, and that's my other nighttime job is being a teacher. Um, it's it's definitely a different approach and a different mindset when we look at how we interact with the landscape, um, whether it's domesticated or um, wild. Mm. And my belief um, or understanding of how to take care of gardens is to let the garden be as ecologically functional as possible first. So that includes soil management, um, understanding the hydrology of the site and managing water correctly, looking at all the other organisms that use the space and honoring all of those systems together. And then we can look at how humans fit into that. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes humans have this vision or these desires, not necessarily needs, um, that can be very destructive to land and without thinking forward to the next generations. And so a big part of what I do is teach people uh, a new perspective of, mm -hmm. okay, we're here for a short period of time <laughs> in, in the context of land. Right. Um, and so how can we be the best stewards possible in taking care of that piece of land for the time that we're here and that we're privileged enough to, to take care of it? Mm -hmm. It's different than saying I'm an organic gardener. It's maybe, I don't quite understand. I don't know that I could explain why, but it feels a little more full, hol holistic, or or you know, a 360 de degree approach versus just organic inputs. Yeah, is that correct? Or oh how, yeah, okay. because I mean that's that's looking at one system, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, maybe fertility or pest management, um, but this considers the entire garden as an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So we really want to look at all those systems. That's what makes it ecological is, mm -hmm. is considering those systems and how they work together. Um, because, you know, when one system's not working or it's not to its potential, it could be actually causing problems in another area. Mm -hmm. um, and so flowers, for example, yeah. it's one of the my favorite things to encourage people to plant because they have so many purposes in the garden. Um, really, ecologically, they they perform this amazing like feat of inviting in the insects and inviting in the pollinators that are there to balance out the ecosystem on that level. 
And so, which often we don't even see. Yeah, or we're not thinking about, or we're taught that mm. oh, if we have an insect, that's bad. Um, and so, looking at the ecosystem, like how it's supposed to function, like if, if we take ourselves out of the garden and we walk around, you know, a park, um, not a manicured, you know, meticulous park, but like a, a real wild space. Nobody's in there fertilizing or irrigating or pruning. Nature's just doing its job. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Wow. Flowers are a big part of that. Ah, so I love that. Um, when you um, meet with a client, do you, they know all this? And is that why they choose you on, or choose Northwest Bloom? Or have they just seen a beautiful landscape that you've, you know, you and your team have installed? And I know that's probably not even the right word. Um, massaged or <laughs> brought to life. Um, and then they thought, oh, I, I like her vibe. I like her aesthetic. I want to work with her. I mean, is it, is it, what, why do people find you? Um, well, I think there's some keywords people use to search, um, search out what we do, ecological being one, mm -hmm. permaculture being another, mm. um, organic gardening, sure. But um, usually people find out about us through uh, either media or their friends. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. and so you get a lot of referrals. A lot of referrals because yeah. I, some of our, I, we've been in business for 20 years. Yeah. And so some of our clients, we're on their third house. Wow. We're redoing their... their Just following them around as they evolve. <laughs> yeah. And they're, every time they, you know, like introduce their garden to their friends, you know, that's a, that's sure. a way to, to, in, to introduce our business. But, um, and then our website's very helpful too. There's a video that I talk about my philosophy and we have showcases of portfolio pages. Oh, good. So good. We'll show that. That sounds great. What was the first book you wrote? Um, that depends on how far back you want to go. There's one, um, a manual I wrote for the government. That's a wetland handbook. It's mm. a community guide to propagating wetland plants. Wow. Um, but that's, that's kind of esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> that's not in print, but my job, I was a co-author of that for the natural resource conservation service. Um, teaching ethnobotany of wetland plants in the Pacific Northwest. That's kind of cool. So um, that was my first shot at writing. And um, and then Timber Press approached me in 2010 after that garden that you yes. met me at yeah. with the chickens and the goats. And they said, will you please write a garden book about chickens? And I was like, what? Um, so that book took off. It's, I think, at this point, over 100,000 copies have sold. Oh, my gosh, sold. That's like one of the first... Uh, <laughs> breakthrough books on chickens. Now there's been a lot of followers, but you, oh, yeah. you were out there. <laughs> yeah. It's the OG book of gardening <laughs> with chickens. Um, so that book kind of got me into the writing scene and, um, I've become very passionate about writing because it's a, it's a wonderful platform to teach, but also inspire people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the ways that we can change behavior is inspiration. Um, I agree. And yeah. beautiful pictures mm -hmm. of plants that really get get your heart and soul in in included in the um, process is uh, very powerful. Well, and you, it, it sounds like I, I don't know you that well, but it it seems to me that everything you're doing is has some educational component and. Um, Writing, uh, writing a book is one of them. You do lots of public speaking and you lead workshops and, and you do media. So it's just whenever you can share that information and make it accessible to people, that does, it, that does fit your goal of being inspiring. Yeah, and I, I found that doing you know, one backyard at a time, you're reaching you know, a family usually or people, but when you're writing a book, you have the potential to reach thousands of people and, and then doing media and mm -hmm. writing articles and mm -hmm. all that, you get to have a bigger reach. Mm. So. Well, I just arrived at your house here in Woodenville, which is east of Lake Washington, east of downtown, a beautiful woodland uh, 
magical space, really. The light is amazing here with these tall evergreens, but the sun is coming through quite beautifully. Um, and you said, Deborah, I've already done four radio interviews this morning. And so um, you're just starting the, the new book journey, which often takes months, and with Creating Sanctuary. When did, was it just published this month in November? Or? It came out one week ago today. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is awesome. Yeah. Yay. Perfect, yeah. perfect for um, holiday gift giving and also anyone who's kind of wanting a reboot for the new year, I would think. Yeah. It's, it, it actually, I'm kind of touting it as like this self-care manual to mm. get through periods of stress and um, mm -hmm. chaos. So mm -hmm. it's a it's a really good timing for that, I think, for most folks. Well, so talk about this, the idea of creating sanctuary and how did you even, I mean, how did this book come to life? What led you, what path did you go down to get, um, you know, wrap your arms around such a broad topic and, um, you know, put words to it? So it, I, I consider it kind of my journey um, through my, not only my career, but my personal journey in healing. So I've spent most of my life really close to nature, um, from a young child to my career, making it my career, yeah, and um, and helping others mm -hmm. find that connection. And so I've I've been doing that daily, um, I, as far back as I can remember, and really becoming proficient at it. But um, there was a point in my career and my personal life where things just hit rock bottom, and. I was going through a lot of emotional and physical issues. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm. And at that point, I was really forced to slow down and go, okay, how can I take care of myself? How can I balance all of this out? And through that period, of course, there was a lot of, um, a lot of feelings and a lot of difficult things to work through. But um, I always went back to nature. I knew that mm. connection so well that it was a resource for me mm. throughout the whole time. Mm. Like and a place you could just not feel as panicked or as sad or as pain, pain, painful or whatever. Yeah, it was just yeah. always something that I knew as it could nurture me. Yes. And yeah. so often I run into people who their gardens or, or even their outdoor spaces are a burden because of weeds or because mm. of something that they are, they're not happy with. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the idea that it's like, oh, I have to take care of this mm -hmm. thing. And it's, it, in my perspective, it's like, wow, we are really blessed to have this land and to have this, um, these it's plants access. And, and access yeah. Yeah, to all these wonderful beings. And um, so that's been my relationship, and it's been really healing for me. But during that period, um, I, was, I, I had just started writing, and I um, realized like people's behavior, after writing the permaculture book especially, people's behavior isn't easily changed. Um, mm -hmm. Inspiration is one way, but usually other ways to change behavior um, is through traumatic events and, um, and, and something that really shakes up your life. And that happens for all of us, I think. At a certain point, um, during this book, I had several people in my life pass away. And so that was something that I had to work through. I had all kinds of healing um, journeys and went to study herbalism. I studied psychology, bioenergetics. I did all these things to understand humans. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like you and, got the nature part. Yeah, that, that I had figured out. Um, but how, how do I interact with humans and how do I um, heal my body? Because my nervous system was destroyed, basically. Wow. And I still had to function. I had to show up. I'm a single mom. And so um, not only do I run a business, but I have other things in my life to tend to. 
And I wanted to understand, you know, when we hit periods of our, in our life, whether it's grief from a, a loved one or um, passing or a relationship ending or um, something traumatic happens or like right now the fires in California, yeah. how many people are traumatized by that and animals um, and who all those people have to rebuild their lives and yeah. their sanctuary is gone, yeah. right? So those kinds of events um, and the, the, the struggles or suffering that humans go through um, is something I wanted to really tend to and nurture because in our culture, we tend to privatize or stigmatize issues around well-being, um, mental health being a big one. We don't even have resources in our healthcare system for the most part right. to take care of that. Right. So It's either not discussed or there's some shame around it or yeah. um, fear, yeah. just, you know. Yeah. And everyone, I mean, if you go through life and you don't experience any suffering of any kind, then you're extremely privileged. And I don't know how that would happen, but we all have anxiety, I would believe, or we all have depression or sadness. And so this book, it gives resources Mm -hmm. for those times, Mm. Uh, not only in creating the space to begin with, um, but using plants as allies so that we can heal from their medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was... Um, a big portion of the book and probably my favorite part to write um, and research because I really got to go deep into the history of like plants. The, the, the way plant, the actual almost like science of the plants and how mm-hmm. they interact with our, our bodies. And, yeah. Um, I'm flipping through here because I was so curious, so fascinated with how you organized this book. I said to you it's three books in one. Yeah. And um, are these... Three these three main sections then the the way you've mm-hmm. organized it so yeah. it's creating sacred space botanical alchemy and then nurturing self health body mind and soul and uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about each of those and uh, and I just have to say Jesse when you said it was definitely part of your journey this is somewhat autobiographical you talk mm-hmm. about your you know your actual experience with certain plants or. Rituals, so I, I really find it's very personal. Then it is. It's a yeah. very, <laughs> it's a very personal book. It was hard to write, and it was a little scary putting out there. Absolutely. But, um, so far, I've gotten lots of great feedback, and one of the the most adorable things I keep getting is photos of children curled up with the book. Mm. And um, mm. yeah, I've I've run into some teenagers who just have stared at it and wanted copies. Um, but yeah, it seems to have a place in everybody's heart. That's it wonderful. Seems. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. <clears throat> so, uh, describe your these three sections and okay. kind of what you were hoping to achieve in those. So, creating sacred space. Um, this is kind of the design mm. section of the book. Mm-hmm. So, how can we look at the spaces that we're in and step by step go through all the layers of design? And so, um, there's some really practical tips for like selecting plants, but the process of clearing a space out, developing intentions, that's one of the things that um, I really wanted to focus on. It's kind of like creating a goal statement for your mm-hmm. garden, mm-hmm. but the intentions, I give examples of sacred spaces all over the world. Um, I got to visit some really incredible places, and a, a big part of this chapter is defining what that means for you, mm. because everybody might have a different um, definition. Of what sacred space is. Yeah, or sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And um, might have different purposes or uses for that space. And so I go through the design process, really, in that part Which of Which is it. sort of what you would do with any client anyway, right? Just yes. like list, a lot of listening, 
a lot of asking questions to try to understand what that goal statement is. Yeah, exactly. Wow, I love that. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of uh, like uh, meditations and things like mm-hmm. that that I, I have people do, and sometimes when I'm teaching, I do that, and um, it's really helpful to to really put your attention towards what you want to achieve rather than kind of ping-ponging all over Pinterest or, you know, coming up with ideas that aren't really gelling together. And so this is, is that process. Cool. Um, the second part, which is probably the biggest part of the book, is called Botanical Alchemy. And um, what I do there is I focus on 50 plants to start. And so I, I call those the, the sacred plants for your garden. And this was the, the best part, in my opinion, to research because... I got to be covered in books for two months and researching every single one you of these plants. You geeked out on all these plants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could have written a book on each one of them um, because there's so much history mm-hmm. and there's so much information about plants. They're just these magnificent, fascinating organisms. Um, and a lot of times, even gardeners think of them as just this aesthetic backdrop. Right. Um, but plants have energetic value that is medicine in, in not only to the earth in their ecological value, but to our bodies, to other organisms. I mean, we're, we're all designed to be a part of this big food web, essentially, um, and plants are the basis for our, our minerals and nutrients and everything that nourishes us. So one of the, the fun things about that chapter or that section is um, looking at their sacred powers. Mm. And this was really fun because every culture in human civilization has used plants um, right. historically. Right. And so some plants were regarded as super sacred and, and there was rituals around them and there was all this written word back you know, 5,000 years or more even. Mm-hmm. And then some of those very plants are considered weeds today. Absolutely, because we just don't, uh, we don't find them as fitting our definition of beauty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. or medicine. And I, I call that environmental amnesia. You know, we're growing, we're, we're born into, grown into. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're born into a lifetime where we don't have that prior wisdom. Right. So. Um, somehow it's been severed generations yeah. ago. Yeah. And that's, that's the connection I wanted to get back to mm-hmm. in this book was, mm-hmm. okay, this plant's sacred power was, um, you know, longevity or mental health or finding love or whatever it was that was deemed its sacred power. And ironically, and this was the coolest part, was finding that some of those sacred powers or beliefs were actually now validated by science. So that's one of the wow. criteria for picking the top 50. Wow. I um, bet you had a, a much longer list and you had to cull it down. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was so painful to, to shorten that list. Um, but looking at plants like our allies, like mm-hmm. how can we benefit, how can we take care of plants? That's a big part of this, this section. I love and then that. how to make the medicine. Um, you know, people, I think, have been taught that herbalism is alternative. Right. right, but it's actually the original medicine. Absolutely, and it's the people's medicine. We shouldn't have to go to school for ten years to learn how to make medicine. Right, it's actually something that we've had in us all along, and genetically, or our ancestors knew how to do that. But again, we've been severed. Yeah, and so I always question why. You know, there's big companies and um, industries that benefit from us not knowing that knowledge. 
change. Absolutely. So I love that there are 50 plants because in a way you've just, you've short, you've given us a shortcut to get, get access to the, you know, vibrant life of these plants and the richness and the medicine and the, you know, even the spiritual components, like what, if we're starting from scratch, this is definitely going to be a great place to start because Mm -hmm. you also are choosing things that people would want to put in their gardens, maybe for other, other purposes like shade or, or screening or fragrance or, you know, that edible, but I mean, all of those kind of come to mind as also the reasons to choose these plants. Yeah. Is that true or? Yeah. And, um, a lot of these plants people may or may already have in their garden. Oh, but so, now maybe we look at them differently. Exactly. It's and and really what I think, um, I'm trying to do here is help people create new relationships mm. with plants. Mm-hmm. And so rediscover them. Yeah. So if you have a, you know, a, a birch in your yard, you know, discovering the attributes and the sacred powers of birches might make you look a little bit differently at that tree. Absolutely. Um, I love that. There's a whole section on weeds as well, the wisdom of weeds, because I think those are the plants that we most often struggle with or have a negative relationship with. And actually, they are some of the most medicinal and widely available plants to us. So, so tell me what about Himalayan blackberry? Is that on your list? It's not on my list. <laughs> I'm just and, teasing you because you said you had to eradicate it when you moved Oh, to yeah. It. Well, and, and regionally, you know, there's going to be, quote, problem plants. Um, and, us- and what I try to do in this, in this section is encourage people to look for the medicine of the plant. So mm. blackberries are um, prolific, right? Um, they do create food. Absolutely. For humans and animals, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're not super eradicated to, to, or difficult to eradicate in a garden setting. Um, bioregionally though, they are, are problematic in displacing native species, but, um, it's, this garden book is really about our spaces. So mm-hmm. looking at, you know, is this a weed that I have to fight for the rest of my life, for example? Right. Um, or can I benefit from it? Or what can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. And one of the, can we I, live in harmony? Kind of yes. Thing. Yeah. And um, one of the plants I always joke about, I can't find a good purpose for, or it's, its medicine is buttercup, which, you know, not everyone in the, the States has to deal with buttercup because it's a plant that likes wet, cold soil. It seems um, to like the Pacific Northwest. Yes. And I have found an eradication method, which is pigs. Um, they can take care of it pretty well if you are down for pigs. Um, but one of the ecological functions of buttercup is drainage. Mm, um, interesting. It helps break apart the soil. Especially clay soil, right? Yeah. And so if you look at plants from that perspective, like even if they're annoying to us, what is it doing for the environment? Mm-hmm. What is it doing for pollinators? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, are, what are the attributes that it's contributing to making this planet function? Not necessarily if we consider it an eyesore. Right. So I love that. That's interesting. It's kind of like you were talking about uh, stewarding nature, and I thought to myself <clears throat> how intentional I try to be to not say I have to go work in the garden. I, that's the <laughs> wrong language. I want yeah. to say I get to go play in the garden. Yeah. You know? But it's, you know, we've been, I don't know, fine tuned, or our, our brains have been kind of tuned into that um, negative when it shouldn't be that way. So weeds, mm-hmm. weeds fall into that category too. Yeah. Yeah. And I always ask, well, where did you learn about gardening? You know, um, usually those mindsets come from whoever we learned from. And unfortunately, a lot of people learn from big box stores who are given displays and advertising 
telling us to wage, wage war on yes. weeds. Yes. And so there's this negative connotation that yes. we're like, oh, this is bad. And then our neighbors reinforce that. Yeah. Right. Um, so if we undo all that programming and we go back, you know, mm-hmm. to our ancestral roots or our biological purpose, we're not here to mow lawns and, and hedge box boxwood. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We're here to nurture the land and we're here to take nourishment from the land. So um, that's mm. one of the things I encourage people to do with plants is looking at them from that perspective. Mm, I like that. Okay, what's your third section? So nurturing self, mm. um, this is putting those two things together. Mm. So we're taking the sacred space and the botanical alchemy, and we're creating rituals, we're creating daily activities, things that actually utilize both so that it is incorporated in our life um, daily. And um, when I was first writing the book and we were, I was talking to the editor, kind of fleshing out the ideas, I was like, you know, I live in harmony with plants like every day. And it was like, well, how do we break that down? And obviously we eat food, which is derived from plants, no matter how you cut it. But um, having that more intimate relationship with plants, whether it's growing them and making tea for yourself mm-hmm. or um, doing ecological art. So that's something that I touch on. Um, creating rituals. So one of one of the fun things that I got to do researching this book is look at how other cultures relate to plants. Mm-hmm. And here we're um, we're a little sterile in that department. Yeah. Um, I mean, we appreciate the beauty, but um, we don't have a lot of rituals except for a ceremonial, like you know, flower displays, right. um, weddings, and right. funerals and whatnot. But looking at how plants can be used in a spiritual manner, um, I took a lot away from going to. Um, Bali, where every single day, every single person creates a little bouquet or a little basket of offerings from the garden that are for the gods. And so you walk through the streets and there's just flowers everywhere. <laughs> and I, I just felt so at home because I was like, oh yeah, everybody celebrates life in this way that is so vivid and um, bountiful. The the flowers and the plants are everywhere. Um, everybody has those plants in their gardens. They're all very symbolic. The colors, the meanings, what they do for your body and your heart. Um, and so wow. um, one of the things that I was doing before I went to Bali that really struck me as like, oh, I'm kind of doing this already is um, on the different moon cycles, I celebrate, I, I make a, an offering bowl, like a, it's a water contain, container, like a ceramic container it's mm-hmm. out in my garden um and on the the full moon I will go out and I'll pick flowers and I'll um clean the bowl and I'll I'll put floating flowers hmm. um in this display it's right by the front door so I'm always reminded um of what the garden is offering and what kind of gifts it gives but um really that. celebrating it yeah and and it gives me time to walk through the garden and not look for weeds, <laughs> even though some of my weeds might be flowering and they end up in the bowl. Um, but really looking through the space and, and looking for all the gifts. And yeah. so right now there's flowers or um, color from foliage, yes. you know, the fall foliage. Yeah. Um, and I made a big mandala out there with the, the leaves of the cherry that are bright yellow. Um, but being able to use your garden in a way that's more therapeutic I think is something that we, we often don't do or we're not taught. Right. Um, but that's a part of the ecotherapy aspect of this book is um, how can we relate and have a different relationship? Um, there's a section on gardening with kids and, 
making fairy houses, mm-hmm. you know, doing things that really evoke our imaginations and inspire us to do something different. Which we so need more than ever before in mm-hmm. our kind of efforts to, to, you know, just not be consumers of whatever, plastic, mm-hmm. I, you know, whatever it is that kind of becomes a burden. Um, the na- nature's sort of always there for us if we want to consume in that traditional sense of drinking in something that we're looking at or being in, I don't know, I think it's a positive way mm-hmm. to um, not be caught up in Black Friday or Cyber Monday or all of this stuff that's right upon us. It, it's, yeah. a, it's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. Um, so I asked you to pick up a, a passage that you would share with us. Would you tell us uh, what you're going to read and a little bit about this? Um, yeah, so it's the it's the chap or the section opener about botanical alchemy. Mm, I love and that term, by the way. That's lovely. <laughs> it's um, it's kind of my introduction to plants and how I feel about them in mm, um, my relationship. So there's it starts with a quote: "A plant may not talk, but there's a spirit in it that is conscious, that sees everything, which is the soul of the plant. It's the essence, what makes it alive." That's by Pablo Amaringo from Ayahuasca Visions, mm. and so. <clears throat> Plants are fascinating biological organisms, silent beings without which we wouldn't exist. From the beginning of human history, plants have played critical roles in our existence and evolution. We owe our lives to plants. Through gases exchange, they clean the air and essentially breathe without lungs. They convert sunlight into sugars, feeding themselves and those around them. They transfer nutrients, minerals, and fluids through their tissues without organs to aid in pumping such materials, sometimes hundreds of feet upward into the sky. They then turn those valuable resources into food, medicine, and materials we can use. The alchemy of plants is mesmerizing. I've felt a deep love for plants as far back as I can remember. I recall speaking to them as a young child, offering to help spread their seeds, the tall meadow meadow grasses, and sitting with old, wise trees to feel comforted. They were all friends to me and continue to be. As a young adult, I studied plants with tenacity, memorizing botanical names, calculating growth, smelling, tasting foliage and flowers, imagining how their colors and textures would play well and dance with other plants in the wind, in the snow, in the late afternoon in August. I kept samples of pressed plant parts. Before long, my entire world was immersed in the plant kingdom. That's all I would see or think about. When I'd learn about a new plant, I'd ask, how can that plant be used in my garden. I studied the science of plants for years, getting every credential needed, becoming certified as a horticulturalist and an arborist. But ultimately what I found is that you cannot learn everything there is to know about plants from a book or in school. You must spend time in their presence to get to know their spirits and, their, and the gifts that they offer. As you think about the plants that will be part of your sanctuary, consider how they can help you on your quest for health and well-being. Plant medicine can cure physical ills, as well as emotional and spiritual ailments. Plants can help us work with focus and they can help us relax. They can alter our spirits. If we choose to pay attention and look for new ways to interact with them, we can build relationships with plants we encounter every day. Plants become wonderful teachers offering wisdom and nourishment in many ways. Mm, That's beautiful. Well, I wish you so much wonderful success with this book. I'd love to share uh, some photos uh, on our show notes uh, for today's episode at deborahprinzing.com and also links to how you can follow Jessie and uh, read her other work and see her projects. And she's got a beautiful website. Maybe I'll grab that video too to share. Um, We reconnected recently because, as I said, I wrote a story for Country Gardens about a 
garden that you had designed quite a while ago. It was like from the from the archive vaults or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, wonderful project. And um, I rem- this was maybe six months ago. And you mentioned to me, Deborah, I'm starting on this new project. You might be interested in. And I we chat. You sent me the information. And I never followed up, so I apologize for that. Sure. But I I hope you can tell us about it now and um, what's going on with uh, your new venture and what's it called well um it's it's northwest bloom farm okay um which we are going to start a nonprofit around um so earlier this year actually in april so it hasn't been that long okay that's about when we talked yeah Yeah. okay um we were granted stewardship of a farm space um we're leasing it in redmond washington and it was kind of a surprise in a good way. Um, we have a nursery and we have a lot of um, needs for growing plant material and have a lot of big ideas and dreams for this space. Um, the idea is similar to what a care farm is, if you've ever heard of that, um, which is popular in other parts of the world. Yeah, I haven't heard of that term. It's a, it's a using horticulture and agriculture um, as therapy. Mm. And so what we want to do is it's many faceted. So there's a nursery where we can grow plants um, that are bioregional and used for climate change and perennial food systems and plant medicine. Things that you would already be needing to source for your projects. Yeah. And that that aren't really widely available in this area because of development, um, a lot of the nurseries have been pushed out of the region yep. and the same thing's happening with farmland. And mm-hmm. luckily this farmland is uh, preserved. So hopefully, I mean, we can expect... Like, like in a trust or something or a land. Um, land trust, yeah. yeah. So hopefully it won't ever be developed. Um, it was old corn maze property. So the story is that the corn grew every year, but um, because they weren't feeding the soil, the corn got shorter and the maze became ineffective. <laughs> sad. Yeah. <laughs> they needed this book. <laughs> yeah. So, um, our, our first year, the intention was to rebuild the soil and let it rest a mm-hmm. little bit more, um, before we put any, um, work into it. How many acres is it? Well, so we started with five and then we were granted another four or five. I haven't added it all up yet, but one of those acres is orchard, mm. apple orchard. Wow. One is blueberry orchard or blueberry field. Um, and then some cane berries as well. So we're going to be taking on the stewardship of some already established perennial food systems and um, working with some big companies to donate some equipment and some other things to help th- get get the ball rolling. Um, but the idea is that we'll create a, real, a, a very functional farm space with plants and animals um, and make it accessible to the people who need it most. Mm. Um, because around here, there's a lot of affluency and a lot of land ownership um, is unattainable for a large portion of the population. Um, Just because the cost of land is so... It's so expensive. Yeah. yeah, and there's so many people in need. And so because of my history and, and the work that I've been doing, um, learning about trauma and, and, and doing that work myself... Um, I really want to serve the community mm. in giving back to people who have trauma history. So Northwest Bloom Farm right now is kind of in just the very early phases of trying to restore the soil health. Yes. And then maybe do like, what, an audit of what you've got. It sounds like you've done that, too, in terms of knowing what perennial food systems you're going to be able to now take care of and then what you want to add. or 
Yeah. So the design process, Mm. um, (laughs) you're your own client. (laughs) I am my own client. And luckily I get to work with a lot of people who are, are giving their input as well. Um, we're working with, um, students, but we're also working with, um, potentially grant, um, resources where we might be doing some studies Mm. on the land, Mm -hmm. um, specifically around organic land care weed management. Mm. So we have a big bindweed problem, um, which is really problematic in an organic um, situation because we can't use chemicals, nor would we want to. Right. But how do we um, how do we make that space um, grow or be restored in some sense? Sure. Um, considering that that weed is growing, but the idea is to to have many avenues of um, connection for people. Yeah. Whether it's um, they need space to grow for themselves or. They want to come and do work in exchange for CSA. Um, they have projects that they're on. We have students who who have very specific experiments um, mm-hmm. and crops that they want to work on. Like college age or yeah, okay. yeah. And and we'll be working with local schools. Mm-hmm. I'm working with um, my alma mater, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, which is. Uh, Lake Washington, uh-huh. and um, I haven't reached out to all the schools yet. This yeah. winter was going to be that time. But I'm not we're... putting you on the spot. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're we're trying to reach out to people who could really use the space. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the farms there in that region are selling dinners, you know, two hundred to four hundred dollar dinners um, with the food that's grown, and that's really not accessible for the majority of the population. Right. And right. so um, we want to make sure that that land is accessible. And the resources are used for the people who could really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So you're um, going to incubate some small-scale agriculture, like case or prototypes or yeah, pilot projects. We're we're going to do a, quite a few things. And and one of the tasks right now for this winter, because it's the first winter on site and it's a floodplain, is ah. I have to I have to learn the drainage patterns mm-hmm. before we can really set up perennial systems because yeah. we don't want to you know, have something drown next winter. So, um, that's step one. And we'll, we'll also be working with the drainage in creating habitat and, um, restoring some of it. So we'll actually be using native plants to create drainage pads and, um, hedgerows. So, but the, the areas that we know are dry, we already have plans for, um, there's a couple of areas in question, but we might do some small earthworks projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also going to integrate animals with the perennial systems. So um, there will be some rotation of animals through different spaces. But the, the annual crops will be limited to uh, a certain area versus the perennials. Mm-hmm. So that way the, the land that's going to be tilled all the time, or hopefully not all the time, but um, that will be separate from some mm-hmm. of the other areas. And that's where the CSA will be kind of based and that sort of um, maybe becomes a revenue source for the for the nonprofit, right? Yeah, and the, the CSA could be perennial or annual. Sure. So um, we're going to be looking at value-added products as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my ideas was to have a UPIC medicine garden. Mm. Um, and so people could come and pick flowers or tea um, ingredients. ingredients. Yeah. And that way they're building a relationship with the plants um, and not just buying something off of the shelf in a grocery store. Yeah, in a clamshell plastic container. Yeah. I love that. And flowers will have a place in, in both the medicinal garden, but also maybe in the, the annual garden. Or the oh, yes. Garden. Yeah. I think flowers will be everywhere. Yes. <laughs> um, not only for uh, medicine or cutting 
for bouquets, but um, for pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they play a very important role in what we're doing. Um, and it's one of the easiest things we can do to increase diversity in a garden or a farm. That's so positive. Yeah. And so, yeah, flowers. That's exciting. <laughs> I want to come visit and, yeah. um, and do what I can to help. I mean, there may be people in the soul flowers community who don't have access to land and want to grow and, you know, maybe a project like this, I mean, you can do a lot in a quarter of an acre and oh, yeah. have, um, have a value added, you know, summer flower crop. So, oh, yeah. um, so it's exciting, especially because really where you're saying you are in this place is in Redmond. It used to be, it used to be the boondocks when I was in college. It is in the <laughs> urban core now. It's oh, yeah. suburban core, I guess. Yeah. How would, would you describe, describe it as suburban or it's, it's, it's definitely suburban. Um, it's the last agricultural value, valley this close to the urban center. Yep. Um, yep. All the other ones are much further away. Yep. And so it's the closest space, I think, one of the closest spaces that people can access. That's remarkable. Wow. To be continued. I'm excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, thank you so much for letting me invade your morning, especially when you were on a marathon radio interview <laughs> schedule. And uh, the timing is perfect to, to talk, have your conversation um, available for people who um, are most, most of our community are uh, flower farmers who are just like finally ending this rigorous growing season mm -hmm. because they've probably been hit by a frost. Or florists, uh, for professional floral designers who are kind of recovering from wedding season. Like everybody's mm -hmm. kind of taking a hopefully breath. <laughs> taking a deep breath and hopefully thinking, okay, I can do some, maybe some personal planning and personal exploration or, or dreaming. And I, I feel like uh, this creating sanctuary is a real good manual for that in many ways. Maybe just changing our own relationship and with the nature around us. So thank you yeah. very much. Thank you. Anything else I, you want to add before we wrap up that I didn't ask you? Um, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I could go off for another 20 minutes. So we'll I know probably... I love it. <laughs> um, no, I just appreciate, um, you taking the time to, to interview me. Oh, you bet. Jesse. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you're in the Pacific Northwest or you plan to travel here for the 2019 Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, the dates are February 20th through 24th, Jessie Bloom has fabulous news to share. She's just signed on as a garden creator at the Flower Show, and many of the ideas featured in her new book will be brought to life in that garden for you to see. I'll be sure to add a link to the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival at today's show notes for you to find more details. I want to encourage you to visit slowflowersummit.com to learn more about the amazing programs, people, and flowers you'll engage with next summer on July 1st and 2nd when we bring the third annual Slow Flower Summit to life in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's not too early to save the date and secure your seat. Slow Flowers members receive special discount pricing and everyone receives $100 off with the early bird rate on sale now. 
We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach efforts. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 385,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you all. And thank you to our sponsors for supporting the Slow Flowers podcast. They include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season. From tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis, visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayash Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978, Mayash is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayash to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayash.com. Certified American Grown Flowers, the Certified American Grown program and label, provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org and the Team Flower Conference, a professional floral event where flower lovers from all over the world gather for networking, learning, and celebration. It's a special time in the floral industry to come together, and whether you're a farmer, designer, wholesaler, or you just love flowers, you're invited to attend as Team Flowers dreams big for the industry's future. Head to teamflower.org slowflowers to learn more about the 2019 conference in Waco, Texas. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast, and next week you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. If you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person 
company or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.